You can generalize a sphere to n dimensions. Can you? Well, I can. Welcome to RequestCast, the request-based podcast. I'm Lewis Powell. And I'm Ben Heaton. And today's request comes from Grant. Grant requests, quote, Please devise a board game that bears little to no semblance to any board game that you are aware of, and yet still would likely be entertaining. So Ben, we get to invent a board game. Alright, this is going to be kind of difficult for us to do because the space of types of board games to make has been fairly well explored by this point. Yeah. We're going to need to come up with something extremely new. Ben, the bigger problem is not that the space has been explored, but that you and I are collectively aware of much of that exploration. Oh, that's true. If we didn't know anything about board games, we could just independently recreate Monopoly and be done. Ugh. Let's let's at least independently recreate Clue or something. Or Cluedo, as it is called in the UK. Which is a pun on Ludo. What does that mean? Ludo is what they call Parcheesi. <laughs> I love how many layers there are of that pun that I don't get. Two. I guess there's two layers to that pun that I don't get. Alright, so we're making a board game. First of all, should there be a board? I think there should, because otherwise I don't think it's technically a board game. Okay. That's arguable. Here's a question, though. How many boards should there be? Oh, that's a very good question. The thing is, I've seen games with multiple boards, so that isn't new. Unless we have so many boards. Okay, what if... Oh, no, wait, that's been done. How about a globe as a board? Magnetic globe. Hmm. Has that been done? Uh, you know, not that I know of. All right. So our game takes place on a magnetic... That's that's going to be difficult to make. Well, we don't have to actually invent it. It just says devise it. Oh, good point. Well, so my first thought there would be to have the spherical board be representative of the Earth, like a globe, but games where the board represents the actual continents of the Earth have been done. It's pretty popular, like Risk or Pandemic. Right. And Middle-Earth has been done in Risk, Middle-Earth. Yeah, we probably don't want to have uh, representations of geographic locations. Yeah, it should probably be mapping out some sort of conceptual space. Like a globe-shaped representation of the taxonomy of animals or something. Okay, well that's reminding me a little bit of the classic board game Yada No Mammals. I am am unfamiliar with that game, can you tell me about it? You have a board that's a grid, and you put some little square picture cards onto each space, each showing a type of mammal, and the gameplay revolves around trying to guess which mammal each one is. Okay, I was thinking that the board, like the globe, could be divided up into five regions. Okay. One for each kingdom of life. Okay, so we have animals, plants, fungi, and then the ones people don't care about. Monera and Protista, right? Yeah, the ones people don't care about. Whatever, I knew them. That's the important part. Okay. You have magnetic pegs that you place around this globe. Uh, Wait, I've played games with magnetic components. What if they have suction cups on the ends instead? No, I've I've played games with suction cups, and they are shittier than games with magnets. Well, yeah, I mean, trying to avoid things that have been done means avoiding some things that have been done for a reason. Right. But we do have to make a game that would still likely be entertaining. Velcro. You attach them with Velcro. Okay, that works. Uh, But there's. I was thinking that the board could react to the placement of the pieces by displaying regions of the board in different colors. How would that work? You'd have some sort of, like, computerized light production inside the globe. 
So this board is a big spherical computer that you put magnets on. Or Velcro, but there's something in the Velcro pieces that react. Okay. And so the thing lights up in different ways. And your goal is to get the entire board to be your color. Now, wait, that sounds like a mechanic that's been done. No, your goal is going to have to be something like stability. Your goal is to avoid having it fall over, at which point somebody yells Jenga. (laughs) That's exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Really? I can't think of any game that works that way. (laughs) I think Yahtzee works that way. (laughs) Yahtzee, you've got to clean it up. (laughs) Or what's the one? Perfection? Where the board, like, just uh, shakes and all your pieces fly off at a certain point if you're not done? Okay. All right, so... The spaces on this board represent different taxonomic divisions, and you're putting pieces on there that represent uh, ways of eating various forms of life. Yeah, well, yeah. No, ways of... Ah, here's what you're doing. You are changing the arrangement of phyla, or kingdom, kingdom phylum class. You're changing some sub-kingdom arrangement, right? So, like, the geometric arrangement of your pieces inside... Your region reflects... Like how you're dividing up these species into groups? Something like that. Or, or like which classes are are reproducing more or something. Let me describe the game mechanic I have in mind, and then we can figure out how to glue that into a narrative of the game. Okay. So your moves on your turn involve rearranging the pieces inside your region. Oh, that's been done. No, I know. But then there's rules... That's been that done. dictate... <laughs> That there are rules? Yeah, I've played a lot of games like that. (laughs) I've also played games with no rules and games with made-up rules, so this is difficult. Okay, wait. So, Ben, I just want to describe my idea, and then we can figure out how to take it away from actual games that exist. Alright. So, each player controls a region of the globe, or is in charge of, let's say. The goal is to maintain... There's two goals, okay? A cooperative goal and a competitive goal. Okay. The cooperative goal is to maintain stability of the biome. So you don't want a cascade effect where, like, all of the protista go away or whatever, where you crowd them out. Yeah. You don't want the mice to eat all the crops and then everything dies off. Right. However, your goal is still to control as much territory as possible when the game ends. So you need to find sort of safe incremental expansions of your territory, but you also need to make sure that you're not, like, uh, inadvertently combining with two other players to crush a third player. Well, see, I don't know if getting as much territory as you can is something we want to go for here, since that's pretty commonly done. What if you want the number of regions you control to be a prime number at the end? Okay, I like that idea of making it a weirder goal than control as much space as possible. But we also need it to be the case where I want there to be both a cooperative goal and a competitive goal, and where the two goals are in tension, because that I don't know happening in a lot of games. Uh, I've seen that done before. I forget the name of the game. It was something where you're working together to try to defend this castle from monsters. You all lose if you don't do that, but at the end, whoever killed the most monsters or something is the real winner. Oh, that sounds like a good game. It was. I wish I could remember the name of it. Okay, so maybe... Ah! Here's a thing that I've definitely never seen in a game, and you'll tell me that there's games that do this, but I've never seen it. You take turns. (laughs) <laughs> no. Victory conditions change as, uh... Flux. No, but that's not a board game. Flux the board game. <laughs> that's not a thing. Yeah, it is. They, they came out with a board game version of Flux. Wait, really? Yeah, I haven't played it yet. Okay. But that is a thing that exists. 
All right, that's a good point. <laughs> I admit that does sound like something I would make up after Flux being challenged. <laughs> no, no, no. Flux, the board game. The movie. <laughs> huh. Okay. So your goal is to have... Prime number seems too, too likely to have been done also. I guess I'm not familiar with it having been done. I'm not either. I mean, it seems like the sort of thing that somebody might think would be a neat idea to try to design a game around, and then it would turn out to be worse in practice. Yeah. Okay, are there games, Ben, where instead of moving the pieces, players control the board? Uh, kind of. I know of somewhere, like, a move is sliding this row of pieces over, and a game pieces on that row move with it. Like, imagine that you have a grid where you have a bunch of rows, each of which can move left and right independently. You can slide them back and forth to create new paths and connections. Okay, I see. What if, what about one player controls the board and, uh... Oh, and the other player moves the pieces, but their pieces corresponding to both players? Yes. That I do not think I've seen done. Okay. It's a little bit similar to a puzzle in an episode of Firebrain, but not quite. I think it's safe for this. I think it's also reminding me of a game from Return to Zork. It's like the wizard and the mage. That classic dichotomy, the wizard and the mage. <laughs> so, it's a game of strategy involving two players in the guise of Wizard Trembile and the Mage Canuck. The wizard piece plays a compound move comprised of one straight and one diagonal, so like a knight. The Canuck piece can move to any square on the board to block the wizard piece's movement. Whenever the wizard piece vacates a square on the playing board, that square turns into a pit. The object of the game is to occupy the last remaining square on the board. Hmm. Anyway, that's not quite as I remember, because you, you're still both moving pieces. Okay, one person moves the pieces, the other moves the board. What does moving the board mean here? Like, you can rotate the globe, maybe spin sections of it? Yeah, maybe the globe is sort of a Rubik's cube -y. Okay, I like that. Yeah, you could probably make some sort of three-dimensional sphere Rubik's Cube variant. Yeah. I don't know why I specified three-dimensional there, since sphere and Rubik's <laughs> Cube both already cover that by default. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested in a two-dimensional sphere slash Rubik's Cube variant. Well, two-dimensional sphere is what we call a circle. Okay. The circle is, in fact, one of the most famous types of sphere. Is it a... It's not a sphere, is it? Well, it's a two-dimensional sphere. You can generalize a sphere to n dimensions. Can you? Well, I can. All right. So the board is a Velcro-y Rubik's Cube sphere. Yeah, with different colors of Velcro in the different sections. <laughs> yeah. Each color corresponds to a different uh, phylum. Wait, kingdom. Yes, kingdom. We'll have a bunch of phylums within each of the colored kingdom sections. Right. And your goal is to create the perfect life form. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine goals that you can apply to taxonomy. Um, I mean, it's not that the game—it's not that the game is about taxonomy. It's that the taxonomy is shaping the competing elements. Okay. I mean, I could have done like ghosts or something. It could be like the five ghosts, but you know, that's probably been done. What do you mean the five ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> is that a is that a thing I should know about? <laughs> this game is played with these five colors of pieces, each of which represents one of the five ghosts.
right, what if we just call the game The Five Ghosts, but don't have any ghosts in it? I don't think that's been done. <laughs> oh my god, it hurts! Oh my god! Oh man. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm still here. <laughs> oh man, that was amazing. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. <laughs> Five is actually probably a bad number to choose, also. Yeah, that's a popular number. Uh, what's an unpopular number for these things that's still not unwieldy? Eight? Well, wait, what is this a number of? Um, <laughs> ghost. <laughs> Alright, so we've got this colored Velcro globe. Rubik's globe. Yeah, where you can swivel sections around. Okay, well, if one person's moves are all in the form of swiveling these sections around, it means that the arrangement of the sections needs to be pretty important. Like, which ones are next to which. Yes. So maybe something in the game is determined by the geometric pattern of pieces of a given kind. Yeah, like maybe you want to have contiguous territory. No, that's been done. No, so maybe it's like you want to represent each of the platonic solids or something. Okay. Right, so you're trying to get a bunch of phylums that together make the corners of an octahedron. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Uh, not platonic solids. Regular polygons. Wait, each of the regular polygons? Well, I don't know. There's like infinite regular polygons, aren't there? Yeah, but there wouldn't be an infinite number that you could make with spaces on this board. Right. There's also the issue that, like, whether you have a square on the surface of a globe is a bit odd. But, I mean, you can define all the standard Euclidean figures for, uh... Sure. Riemannian geometry, right? Okay. We'll make the globe have, like, I don't know, a kajillion different slots or whatever. Sounds good. And the globe player's goal is to reduce the number of regular polygons. So wait, I thought that there were going to be pieces on this that represent the two players, but that probably doesn't actually make sense, given that only one player is actually moving the pieces. It seems like one of them moves pieces, according to some rule, the other moves the board sections, according to some rule. Yeah. So they're just competing to get their preferred type of arrangement of pieces. Uh... Like, maybe one of them wants five in a row, the other wants, uh something different. Let's make it a three-player game. Okay. There's the globe player. Yeah, this is a good idea because games that have to be played with exactly three players are rare. Yes. So we'll have it be an exactly three-player game. Let's ditch this kingdom phylum thing. That's... Let's worry about the narrative after we get the mechanics down. Uh, that's a common thing to do. Is it? Yeah, it's been done. A lot of Euro games are very much that way. Okay. Yeah, like, we'll make this game with this weird drafting mechanic I came up with, and by the way, it's about uh, Egyptian mythology. Okay. So we're not allowed to do that here, is what you're saying? Because I feel like the other direction is also pretty common. 
Well, I, I'm not sure if the request really requires us to make our means of coming up with the game novel. Okay, good. So here's the idea. One player makes shifts to this Rubik's Cube globe. Okay. They can do a horizontal twist or two vertical twists, let's say. Though really, there are going to be three types of twists you can do, since it's Rubik's Cube style on a sphere. Oh, what are the three types? The same three types that you'd have with the Rubik's Cube. On a Rubik's Cube, I thought there was just one type. No, I mean, there's the three different axes. Oh, okay. Do you still only have three axes if I'm imagining, like, a million squares? Yes. Uh, maybe. I, I don't really know how this thing is built, but probably. Okay. So you've got three moves. Uh, and can you describe to me what those three moves look like? Pitch, roll, and yaw. Okay, pitch, roll, and yaw. Yeah. And they all affect the relative locations of squares? Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me what pitch would do using latitude and longitude terms. Okay, say you're holding the sphere up in front of you. Yeah. You can turn it so that the section you're looking straight at stays where it is and it just rotates around that. You could turn it so that the section right in front of you moves up or down, or you could turn it so that the section right in front of you turns left or right. Wait, tell me what the first one was again? Uh, turn it like a doorknob. Oh, okay. So you can rotate a face of the globe. Yeah. I mean, the globe has lots of faces, but you so you sort of, you do a rotate one? Right, well, those would be the three axes you could rotate it along. There could be a lot of different parts that could each rotate. Yeah, the way that, like, those 5x5 five five Rubik's Cubes work. Or 5x5x5. Five 5x5 by five by five. Five by five Rubik's Cube. Let me see what that looks like. And it looks like a Rubik's Cube, but each face is 5x5 five five instead of 3x3. Three three. I see. So it's just the same thing, but more pieces. Alright. Let's see if there already are Rubik's Spheres, and then... I would guess that if there are, they're just Rubik's Cubes shaped differently. I don't think the underlying structure would change. Okay. Yeah, the Rubik's sphere I'm looking at right now is a Rubik's cube, but made so as to be a curved surface. Okay, so let's say I'm looking at this Rubik's cube, and we'll say that each face is already the right color. One person is trying to solve the Rubik's cube. The other person is trying to play chess on it. Uh, no. They Just... hate each other. <laughs> Bear with me, Ben. But so I'm looking at this Rubik's cube, and it's got white on top, red on front, and green on the side. Mm -hmm. And I guess blue, orange, and yellow on the opposites of those. Okay. So now the three moves you were describing, one move would, uh... Take the whole white square and rotate that. Okay, messing up the green and orange. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other two moves are where you split the white up in either of two ways. Yeah, where you're taking the green face and rotating that, or the one where you're taking the orange face and rotating that. So, those aren't really different moves. It's one move from three different perspectives. Yeah. Okay, that's why I was confused. Here's the way I would describe the different types of Rubik's Cube moves. On a 3x3, three three, I can rotate one layer, I can rotate two layers, or I can rotate the middle layer. What do you mean by rotating two layers? I guess that's just rotating the bottom layer. Never mind, I guess there's only two moves. There's rotating an edge or rotating the middle. Yeah, but rotating the middle is the same as rotating two edges at once. Sure. Okay. Let's have working out the different types of moves available in a Rubik's Cube be a part of our game. I think in most Rubik's Cube taxonomy systems, it's just rotating an edge, and they classify it by which edge it is. Okay, at any rate. Since you don't need to rotate the middle sections, because the middle piece of each face is always in the right spot. Okay, at any rate. So we've got this crazy colorful Velcro globe. Okay, and one player is rotating that, and they are trying to... Alright, 
And now you think of all the different squares on this, because there's gonna be like a billion different squares on it. Right. That are, you know... Each representing some order no, within a kingdom. No, we're ditching that part for now. We're ditching that for now. Or, or a phylum, like, maybe there's the Ascomycota space. <laughs> yeah. And you want to get that close to the Basidiomycota space, but watch out, because the other players get to try to stop you. <laughs> oh my god. Ben. <laughs> ben, can I tell you that our game will be one of the few board games that cannot claim a minute to learn, a lifetime to master? <laughs> it's like, a lifetime to learn, no one ever bothers mastering. <laughs> I think that might be a more common category than you think. Okay, here's a competition structure. Okay. Okay. Players one and two have a zero-sum game goal. Okay, like they're trying to see which of them gets the most territory. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be exactly that, but some sort of zero-sum game goal. Right, something like that. And the global player is trying to make sure that they tie. Hmm. Or, if that makes too much sense, and is too much of a familiar structure, then here's the idea. The globe is trying to get player one to have the most territory. Player two is trying to make sure that player two has the most territory. And player one is trying to tie? Yes. I think I like the first one more. Well, that, it's because it makes too much sense. Well, but I don't think I've seen it done, though. I I mean, a three-player game where two of them are competing in a somewhat normal way, and then the third player wants them to tie? That's interesting. Okay. So, as a result, what we'd want is... So just using as a placeholder that the mechanic is going to be controlling territory. Yeah, actually, that's really interesting, because it means that... If one of those two first players is better than the other, the game has a built-in feature for kind of playing catch-up for that, bringing them closer together. Right. Like, ideally, you'd want it to be pretty close towards the end which of these three people is going to win. And you do that by any time it gets in, like, player two's favor. Now there are two people trying to get player one ahead. So the game always goes towards the middle. Yeah. Nice. Okay, maybe here's the other thing we do. Because I think if you need it to be a, a complete tie in order for the globe player to, to do any scoring, that's going to be very difficult, and globe player will always be an unenjoyable role. I don't know. There are people who like playing hearts and always trying to shoot the moon. Sure. But what I'm saying is, I think that there would be something unbalanced in a problematic way about the globe player having sort of, like, there's like a billion ways for player one to win, a billion ways for player two to win, and then only one way for the globe player to win. It might work, but... Here's the thing. We could have the standard rules be a little bit more forgiving in the following way that I'm about to describe. And then you could have like a more hardcore mode where that player only gets points if it's an exact tie. The other way to do it is to have sort of iterated competition the same way that you do in like Exactica or one of those other games where like you tabulate your score not over just one hand but over several hands. Mm -hmm. And the globe player gets a score based on how even it was. And so the closer to 50%, the more points they get. Hmm. And then that way, they always, no matter how far out of sync it is, let's say, they always have some edge or some reason to keep sort of striving for the towards equality. So it'd be like, okay, in the first two games, player one won by about 10 points each time. So now I need to try to get player two to win by 20 points. I mean, it could be that player one needs to win by, let's see, let's suppose that there's like 100 points that players one and two are dividing up. Mm -hmm. Anything within say, a 10-point swing gets, I don't know, some number of points for the globe player. I mean, or it could just be that the globe player is trying to make their scores be within 10 points of each other, or within however, whatever number. Like, they're not playing for a perfect tie exactly. They're playing for getting the scores very close within some margin that would be tweaked for balance reasons. 
Right. I guess I was thinking I wanted it to be a way for player one to get their victory. Mm -hmm. But for them to care how much they get the victory by, not just because they're worried about player two getting the points, but because if they don't get it by enough, then player three will be competitive to beat them if they only win by a small margin in the next game or something like that. This seems like the sort of thing where once you had the mechanics of how you're fighting for the territory down, you'd playtest a bunch of different ways of doing the point totaling for the third player Mm -hmm. to make it balanced. But that's the core idea for the mechanic is two players striving for domination and one player striving for balance. We seem pretty fixated on balance, I think. (laughs) Well, balance is a good virtue. Yeah. As Icarus said... Oh my goodness, my wings are melting. I flew too close to the sun. I should have stayed a balanced distance from it. (laughs) Okay. And I think you could even expand it, like, so we wouldn't have to limit it to exactly three players, although I do like the idea of making it an exactly three-player game. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no reason in principle why you couldn't have this mechanic for a three-player game, and your goal is still, for the globe player, trying to make sure that the points are divided as evenly as possible. So we have that part down. We don't have a game yet. Right. We don't have, I don't think we need to settle right now the scoring rules for the game, but I think we do need to settle a little bit more about the gameplay. Yeah, like the scoring could be, I don't know, maybe there's some things you can do on various sections of the board to get points. Yeah. So gameplay, the third player's moves are all in terms of changing the state of the board, swiveling things around. Yeah. The other two players, their moves are moving their pieces around on this board. Well, they'd probably have placement moves, mm-hmm. translational moves. And maybe some sort of capture of other people's pieces. Mm, Capturing pieces has been done. Conversion's been done. Capture's been done. Yeah, a lot of things with pieces on a board have been done. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... Okay, what if uh, one of them has pieces from chess and the other one has pieces from checkers? I feel like I've actually seen that done. Oh. Who won? Chess or checkers? Which one wins in a fight? I think checkers wins in a fight. That kind of surprises me. The person with the chess pieces has more types of movement available to work with. Yeah, but the checkers pieces uh, are all... Mm. And they could potentially capture multiple pieces in one move. Yeah. Okay, hang on. We gotta figure out the gameplay mechanics for the five ghosts. Yes. Okay, one type of piece, that's been done to death. Yeah. Two types of pieces, less so. Uh, Checkers has two types of pieces. There's the regular piece, and then the piece after it's been kinged. What about three types of pieces? Uh, never been done. Okay. That's probably false. Ah! Player one and player two have different setups. Okay. That's been done, but I'll hear you out. I feel like it's less common than them having mirrored setups. What about all those, like, fox and hounds type games? I don't know what that means. Yeah, like where one person has this one piece, other has, like, three or four pieces... One with more pieces is trying to force the other into a corner so they can't move. The other one's trying to get free. I'm unfamiliar with those games, Uh. but I believe you that they exist. Okay, player one has exactly three types of pieces. All right. We'll call them... Plant, animal, and fungus. No, that'd be so confusing. Why? (laughs) Because because the ghosts represent kingdoms. Okay. It'll be, I don't know, like sofas, chairs. And bagels. Now, sofas, chairs, and ottomans. All right. Player two, each of their pieces is unique. All right. They have a very large stock of pieces, but each one behaves differently. Has that been done? For a very large stock of pieces? Maybe some bizarrely complicated war game type thing? 
But you you haven't played one like that. I don't think so. Okay. Alright, I can imagine that being done with, like, some licensed game where you're playing some X-Men game and your pieces are each a different X-Man. Oh yeah, okay, I could see that. So, if you think about the surface of the game board like a Cartesian grid. I mean, it's not really Cartesian because it's the surface of a sphere, but... Right. A coordinate system. I know that's been done. I've played Battleship. Don't worry. Yeah, each space has a latitude and a longitude. Okay. But those change. Right. Player two... Let's go back to... Let's go to player one. Player one's going to be simpler because okay. there's three types of pieces. Ottoman pieces can only be played in front of chair or sofa pieces. Chair and sofa pieces can't be played too close together or facing each other or whatever. Okay. You had some placement rules. Restrictions on the pieces. So they move by placing the pieces onto the board. Yes. The other player starts with all their pieces on the board, and they're trying to move them around, according to some movement rules. Yes. Their pieces can get blocked by the chairs and sofas and whatnot. Right. So we have one person who's playing with placement rules, the other playing with movement rules, and third player messing with the board itself. Right. Okay. All right. This feels like a new sort of thing. It feels like it's going to be too complicated, and that ultimately, if we were to try and design like a good board game, the main idea that would be worthwhile is the three-player structure. Yeah, we'd probably abandon the ridiculous colored Velcro globe. (laughs) No, the colored Velcro globe is brilliant. Uh, It should be very big and impractical. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's been done, actually. I've played board games that are very big and impractical boards. No, it's this huge ball covered in Velcro. You can't fit it through a doorway. <laughs> awesome. Ideally, your house would be built around one. So each of player two's pieces has a different like mathematical equation that determines the movement it's allowed to do. Okay. Something like that. Let's see. So now we need to actually figure out whether we're going to keep this conquer territory metaphor or figure out a different way for them to be at odds accumulating points. Well, there could be different ways. There could be some spaces where the first person to move into or onto that space gets a point. There could be somewhere controlling that space at the end of the game gives you a point. I was thinking player one could get points by trying to make, like, trying to complete movements around the board, which would be really difficult to keep track of if the board moves. Wait, player one isn't moving their pieces, they're just placing pieces. That's right, player two is the one who would be moving around the board, and that would still be hard to keep track of. Yeah, it would, because the board itself is swiveling around. Ah, okay, here's what it is. Player one's points are determined by placed pieces that have not been tagged by player two's pieces. Okay. And player two gains points by tagging, by hitting... So, like, here's a metaphor that's going to make you say that we can't use this mechanic. The game tag... It's like in Robo Rally when you put down the flags mm-hmm. and your goal is to hit the flags in a particular order. Here, player two is playing Robo Rally and player one is playing flags that are avoiding being tagged or something like that. Because I don't want it to be just like a, a reverse style, like control as much of the board as possible type system. No, I, I like this. So let's say that player one has 40 pieces that they can place one per turn. Yeah. The game ends once they've placed the last one. Player two is trying to, on their turns tag pieces of player ones with their moves so at the end you count up how many pieces got tagged how many didn't get tagged see who wins if it's an exact tie third player wins i think this is actually kind of an interesting idea for a game yeah there's some questions to it like like say player two is behind by one point and on their last turn they have the opportunity to get one more point why would they since that just means player three wins instead of player one 
But there's stuff you could do with how the scoring works to create some incentives. That's right. We'd want to tweak the scoring to make sure that works. But yeah, I do like the idea that the globe player is trying to balance things out. The five ghosts. There you have it. And if anyone out there wants to actually play this game, send us pictures. Yeah! We will only accept pictures of giant colored Velcro balls. And we also recognize that we have not specified nearly enough of the rules for you to have a fully determined game. Yeah, you're going to need to fill in some blanks. But that's actually a thing that I haven't seen a lot of board games do, is intentionally leave it so that there have to be house rules. Yeah, not intentionally. <laughs> the five ghosts. Alright. So Grant, uh, we hope that that satisfies you with your request, and uh, any board game aficionados out there who are looking to hire board game brainstormers, hopefully that this episode has convinced you that Ben and I would be exceptional colleagues. <laughs> we would be great at helping you find some good board game brainstormers. <laughs> no! We came up with game mechanics that are not utilized as far as we know, and combined them all into a ridiculous game. Yet yeah, for some of them there may be reasons. Yeah, I know, but I feel like some of them are actually kind of interesting, and it'll be fun to see what happens. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you, or you'll hear us next time on RequestCast. RequestCast is powered by the requests of listeners like you. You can send us your requests on the web at requestcast.com.